Hi folks, this is Jack Spirico with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things that we can all do to live a better life if times get tough or even if they don't. Coming to you once again from Hot Springs Village, Arkansas, high atop the Highway 7 Ridge Line from TSPN, the Survival Podcast Network Headquarters, a.k.a. The Ant Hill. Today is Tuesday, November the 15th, 2011. That means that we are one and a half months away from 2012, man. The year's almost over. Thanksgiving is like just a week and a few days away or something like that. Um, Christmas is right around the corner. I mean, time is marching on. And you know when I start talking that way, what I'm asking you, I'm asking you, are you working for individual liberty and freedom and self-sufficiency and self-reliance? Is that journey going forward? Because if it's not, it can only go other, one other place. Backwards. We're all on a sliding scale in life, folks. In every part of our lives, we never stay static. We either increase or decrease in any given area. The march of time is to remind us that that is true. Uh, today is going to be an interesting show. I, I actually took a lot of guts to do my show today the way that I'm going to do it. Uh, I'm going to do a show on paleo nutrition today based on all of the questions that have come in. The reason I say it takes guts is tomorrow I will have on the air Dr. Greg Ellis. The safe way to do this would have been to bring Dr. Ellis on first and then do my question second. After I had Mr. Ellis's wisdom, you know, a guy that's a PhD and has been doing this for 35 years, uh, it would be much easier if I already had all of his knowledge. I do know we don't agree 100% on everything. So today you're going to get my view of this, and tomorrow you're going to get his. And we're going to talk tomorrow more about low-carb than paleo. Paleo is not really his thing. It's more of the low-carb thing and nutrition as a whole. And we'll even probably talk about things like uh, all the, the kids that he's helped out with autism. Before we get into my questions, though, and get ready for tomorrow with Dr. Greg Ellis... Let's go ahead and take care of our sponsors. They do a lot to help take care of you. Sponsor of the day, number one, BulkAmmo.com. Remember, I talk a lot about silver and gold, but there's a third class of precious metal. It's called copper jacketed lead. Without that, your guns, your weapons are nothing but really expensive clubs. You need enough ammo to get through times where maybe ammo's not so available. You need enough ammo to test and train and run your guns and make sure that you're, uh, you're, you're skilled with them. And so is every other person in your family should be familiar with any gun in your household, uh, and you need a stockpile for the long haul. Best place I know to, to meet all of those objectives, especially for common calibers like 9mm, 45 ACP, 40 Smith & Wesson, common rifle rounds, BulkAmmo.com. They will ship lightning fast to your door. You have to provide ID on the first order. Uh, that's a normal you know, regulation thing, but after that, your orders are uh, just placed and the stuff shows up, and boy, they ship quick. And they have a tremendous availability in stock and amazing pricing, so check them out today. BulkAmmo.com. Dustin over there is a great guy, and he always takes care of our listeners. Next up today, MERS Radio. That's actually M-U-R-S, and then a dash, you know, a hyphen, and then the word Radio.com. That's Rob Belleville. The thing about Rob is he doesn't have like 400 different radios. He has a very small assortment of equipment, and that's because he's found the stuff that price for price, dollar for dollar, is the best for the things that he's trying to provide. MERS is an unlicensed radio frequency. That means you can use it without a license. It's not like 
like ham. It doesn't have anywhere near the range of ham. We're talking a mile or two depending on the terrain. But what's cool about it is it's secondary communications for your homestead that allows you to integrate secondary communications and security into one device, meaning that you can set out motion detectors that run on the same frequencies, and if someone or something is in a given area, you'll hear something come across your handhelds and your base stations like Alert Sector 1 or Alert Sector 2. And then you can investigate as to what exactly or who exactly is out there doing something they shouldn't be doing, whether it's a dog trying to get out of a, of a of backyard or livestock trying to get out of a, a fenced-in area or a bad guy sneaking around your, your uh, porch at night trying to find a way into your home. Good information to have. And because Rob only carries a select group of equipment, if you call him and say, this is what I'm trying, trying to do, he'll tell you exactly how to do it or he'll tell you my equipment's not what you need. And that's something very special to have from a supplier. That's why I'm glad he's a, he is one of our sponsors. Uh, so check him out, MERS-radio.com. Remember, best way to deal with our sponsors, go to the survivalpodcast.com. Click on their banners in the right-hand margin. That way you know you're dealing with a real sponsor instead of an imitator. Uh, next up, remember, you can connect with me, Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter, along with the fact that we are now syndicated on the Prepper Podcast Radio Network. Links to all of those are available at thesurvivalpodcast.com. Last but not least, do consider joining the Member Support Brigade. You do that, you get exclusive content that's available only to members. You get discounts to over 29 vendors. You get about $200 worth of free ebooks. And it just keeps going. It's a great return of investment, and it comes out to a whopping 20 cents an episode. If you are military, law enforcement, Peace Corps, active due to your prior service, remember, email me prior to joining. Tell me a little bit about your service, and I will give you a special discount code in recognition for your national service. With that, let's go ahead and get into the main topic of today's show. I had a ton of questions come in. I'm going to do them all. I've got most of them uh, cleaned up in a document. The last few I never did, so I'll go into the email box and get them out. If you commented your question on the blog, it may or may not have ended up on the show. I really would like to ask you guys something. When I do these feedback shows and I post a post, I always tell you how to submit your questions. And I always say something like, email them to with XYZ in the subject line. If you'd like to be on these shows, please do that. Throwing it in the comments section may or may not get there. I use automatic filtering to make my life easier. And when you don't do what I ask you to do, guess what? Uh, you might fall through the cracks. I try to go find it, but if I don't, I don't. So if you asked a question on the blog and you don't hear it today, that's what happened. All right, I don't mean to be a jerk. I'm, I'm trying to help you guys, man. I want, when I do a like a, a, a focused show on a given topic and you guys ask questions, I don't care if I have to go an hour and a half. I want them all on. Okay, so question one, uh, what are some paleo desserts? I was having lunch today and congratulating myself for trying paleo by polishing off my sweet tea. Oh. Anyway, the sugar got me thinking of desserts, and I realized that there was very little that didn't have flour and refined sugar. All I could think of was fruits and berries. Any other ideas? Let me first say, very first thing you need to know about desserts is they're not for every meal. Okay, They're not for every dinner. Uh, I don't eat dessert that often. So I would say the first thing is to realize desserts are the exception rather than the rule, and that might give you a little bit of leeway in occasionally breaking it. Now, I don't really eat ice cream, but if I was going to eat something sweet and sugary as a cheat, I would probably eat something like ice cream, which is basically sugar and milk, before I would eat something like a cake, which is a big giant pile of wheat flour. All right, But I probably really would make either one of those a habit. Berries are actually a great choice, and probably the best berry out there for you to eat and stay low-carb is a strawberry. 
Uh, strawberries have a very low caloric count. They taste really good as well, and they, you don't drench them in sugar. You know, you're good to go. You could use a little stevia to uh, sweeten them. We'll talk more about artificial sweeteners in a bit. Um, but you really don't need that with good quality strawberries. Um, Rob uh, Wolf with uh, Paleo Solution kind of is you know down on dairy, uh, but he's kind of okay with cream and butter. So if you get some heavy whipping cream. You make up some heavy whipping cream, doesn't need to be sweetened, and you chop up some strawberries and a little bit of cream on those. That's a pretty good dessert, and that's something you can do pretty much all you want. You're actually going to get very little in the way of carbohydrates there, and as long as you're not eating like a ton of it, you're not going to get that many calories even from the fat and the cream. So that's probably one of the better ones. I mean, I look at things like a raisin. And to me, and maybe this isn't a dessert to you, but if I wait till dinner's passed and I, I sit down and I take a, a small handful of raisins, a small handful of pumpkin seeds, and a small handful of cashews, and I mix that up, and I take a few small pieces of dark chocolate and mix that in there, and this is the big thing to make something like that more satisfying as a dessert, wait for half an hour to an hour after you've had dinner. Uh, when you kind of your stomach's cleaned out and now you've got that little bit of a craving for something like that. And there's some sweetness in there, but it's a very low-carb thing. Just be creative. Remember, if it's on the list, you can eat it. You just have to use your common sense when you're eating things that do have some carbohydrate content into them. Uh, I'll just keep going. I think we'll cover enough of this uh, throughout the rest of the subject. Uh, Jack, I've not listened to today's show, but I do have a comment on Ask Brian's show before at the Denver Expo. By the way, I met you there. Good show on permaculture. I listened to Ask Brian's show on my way to Nebraska after I left the expo. Brian pretty much summed up my health problem to a T. I've been paleo and fermenting since then, and I've been off Nexium for three weeks. This is the first time in ten years that has not involved the horrible consequences from stopping in my Nexium. The only problem is that my preps were of a bad nature for me personally. Not saying everyone is, but the food bank got quite the haul today. So now I have freezers and genies to get me uh, to a sustainable, sustainable point. Uh, all I want to say is thank you. I've always thought of quality over quantity, but now I want both. Um, I, I guess the question I'm supposed to read through that is, okay, you know, if I'm sitting on all these rice and beans and wheat berries in my stores, and now I want to go paleo, what do I do? Well, if you want to give some of it away, fine, but I say keep it, right? Let me explain it to you this way with the whole prepping thing. If I'm out in the woods... And I get lost, and I have to build a fire and sit around and try to feed myself until I can find my way out or somebody finds me. And I turn over a log and find a great big honking beetle, or I find some burrows that are full of scorpions or whatever. I'm going to stick them on a stick and roast them over the fire, and I'm going to eat them. Why? I'm hungry, and there's protein there, and it'll keep me alive. Right? But I'm not going to go out and do that on a daily basis. Other than the scorpions really aren't bad. Roasted scorpions, give it a try sometime. Don't get stung. Cut the stinger off. Uh, you know, and put them on a little uh, skewer and roast them. You'd be surprised. They're really not that bad. Um, but I, I still am not going to live on that. But if I need it in an emergency, it's fine. The other thing is, you know, we always worry about, well, what if people come to our house and what, you know what? You can store enough wheat and rice and, and, and beans to feed tons of people for a long time and it's easier to feed your neighbors than shoot them. So, so, you know, I don't think they have to go away, and we can rely on them in emergencies, right? I'm not saying this stuff is so poisonous that if you eat it for a week, it's going to kill you. Then the other thing is we, we get into this, like, well, God, now what do I store? Meat, all right? And you don't just need a freezer. This is a process called canning, canned meat, and you can do it yourself, or you can go buy meat pre-canned. You can buy freeze-dried meats. And, again, don't think that you can't, you know... 
Think about this. All of the vegetables out there, other than white potatoes, are pretty much okay and on the list, especially some of them we have to be in moderation with. Sweet potatoes, yes, in moderation. So we don't sit down to a giant pile of sweet potatoes and a little piece of meat. We have a small sweet potato with a big piece of meat. But that means all of the vegetables, you know, green beans, I don't look at them the way I do a typical dried legume. Right? And we'll talk more about legumes in a bit as well. So, you know, carrots, celery, peppers, all of the dehydrated vegetables, good to go. You should be, most of you probably have too much grain and not enough of those for their nutritive value versus caloric value anyway. And then we can go into the whole thing with, you know, Mountain House and providing pantry with things like freeze-dried pork chops. They're good. We can look at Yoder's bacon for a long-term protein uh, fat source. There's plenty of ways to store meat. And we don't have to do away with all the weed and rice and everything. And of all the grains out there, the one thing that I'm probably most likely to still eat is going to be rice. Just very small quantities and not very often. And I'm going to be careful about what I combine it with. Uh, we'll talk more about that when we get into some percentage questions in a bit. Um, short question on the next one. What is the average lifespan of humans on the paleo diet? Long version, if one were to take modern medicine out of the equation, how does one account for lifespan increasing over the years? I understand the average lifespan was much shorter thousands of years ago, or is that attributable to the hazards then that do not exist today? Very interesting question. I don't have hard factual numbers for you, but I know where you can find them, and I know what the answer is going to be, and it will shock some people. The average lifespan, the average health, and the average height of human beings all went down when mankind shifted from a hunter-gatherer lifestyle to a sedentary agricultural-based lifestyle. The place you can get all of the information on this is a book called Pandora's Seed, The Unforeseen Cost of Civilization by a guy named Spencer Wells. Spencer Wells is a very renowned geneticist and anthropologist who's traced human evolution back to our earliest ancestors. He's created a remarkable readable map of our distant past. I heard about him through a podcast that I would love to let you guys listen to. I'll see if I can find it online, but no one sent me a link to it. They sent me the actual file. And it's like from ABC Radio, and it's an interview he gave of about 10 minutes. And in this interview, he mentions that, yes, society actually lost height um, uh, and longevity uh, and, and had more illnesses when we shifted. And then the, the host asked him a very reasonable question. If that's the case, then why did it win out? Why did this method of growing our own food versus hunting and gathering it win out? Why do we become, you know, grain consumers? And even if, even if we were going to do it on purpose, how did it work? And what Spencer said is basically this. We hunted and gathered ourselves into a point where when climate shift came along, Uh, at the same time, and the glaciers grew, and the Earth's climate changed on top of all of our predatory nature and doing it in an unsustainable way, not all hunter-gatherer societies, but a large uh, portion of them were forced into agriculture. They had to. Because in, back to our earlier question about what do I do with the rice and beans, you keep them because you might need them someday. Right? When you have a choice between eating nothing or eating wheat, guess what? Wheat starts to become some pretty good stuff. So that society kind of got pushed in this direction. As far as why the population expanded, we back to the other question, quantity and quality. More people survived and grew up, but they just didn't live as long. Because there was more reliable food, doesn't mean the food was better quality. Think about livestock. 
If you want to raise a lot of chickens, the best way to do it uh, for productivity is a chicken feed that's designed to raise a chicken up. Right? It has specific ratios and it's got growth uh, additives in it and all this other stuff. And again, if I'm taking quality, throwing it away. I want to raise as many chickens as fast as I can to market weight, slaughter them, and do it again and again and again. Why do you think modern uh, mechanics work that way in the poultry industry? But if I want to raise happy, healthy chickens that live a long time and provide a lot of productivity, and the ones that we do slaughter give a high-quality meat yield, then I want to raise them mostly on pasture and insects, because that's what they're designed to eat. So I, so I can definitely grow more people with an agricultural lifestyle. But I can grow healthier people with a paleo lifestyle. At least that's how I see it. And as I go forward, I want to say something here to qualify. I'm not an expert about this. I just know what works for me. And I know that all the history I've read, all of the anthropology that I've researched, all the science that I've examined backs it up. And I've done a lot of reading on it. I haven't done read every book. I haven't read this book yet, uh, Pandora Seed. I've ordered it. I'm waiting for it to show up. Decided this is one I want on my shelf versus on my Kindle. Um, but I don't have time to read every single book. And we're going to get to that in a minute as well. I don't claim to be a medical doctor. I don't claim to be a scientist. I don't claim to be an anthropologist. I claim to be a student of all three. And what I'm telling you is this works. And I think it works very well for the majority of people who will give it an honest try. Um, next one says, talk about some good ideas for paleo breakfast food. All right, well, the easy one's bacon and eggs. Right? I mean, that's the easy one. Let's say you don't like eggs. Well, um, how about this? How about last night you had ribeye and you and your wife didn't finish all your ribeye? Right? So you take the ribeye that's left over, you chop it up into cubes, a little salt and pepper, a little olive oil, maybe a little bit of coconut oil. Olive oil, coconut oil together really make a good thing to cook in, by the way. Uh, or maybe you have your little crock sitting up on the thing, but again, you said you didn't like bacon, so you wouldn't have this, but I like to use bacon grease when I do this. And then we take one small sweet potato. And we cube it up really, really small. Or we go to Harmony House Foods and we get some dehydrated sweet potatoes. And right when we get up in the morning, we take a couple tablespoons of those guys, which is the easy way to do this for breakfast, and we stick them in a little bit of water. right? And we let them sit there while we have our coffee and get ready to cook breakfast. Now we take that and we make kind of basically a really good version of corned beef hash, except it's steak hash. right? But it's heavily weighted toward the meat side. That would be... One thing you can do. Uh, Sliced strawberries go on alongside of any breakfast. That really enhances what breakfast is all about. If you're going to eat some carbs, then I would say do it in the morning. Do it early in the morning as your first meal if you're going to have carbs in your day. If you're going to say, you know what, Jack, I want a little bit of cereal or something like that, then then that's the time to, to have that, that type of thing there. But I'm saying, I, I really want to say this to you guys today that are kicking this around. You can do anything for 30 days. If I offered you a million dollars to go to jail for 30 days, you'd probably put the jumpsuit on and, and, and try, start tapping on a cop's window and say, please take me. I just have to stay 30 days, and a guy's going to give me a million dollars. right? Please let me in. right? In fact, most of you would figure out a way to get in there for, for 30 days and know you're going to be able to get out after 30 days uh, without getting yourself into too much trouble if I was willing to give you a million dollars and you could figure out how to do it without hurting anybody. right? So if you can if you endure that, try it. And go full tilt for 30 days. And let me tell you, in the first week, it's going to suck for most of you. And the more addicted to carbohydrates you are, the more it's going to suck. But how do you stop quitting smoking? Do you stop quitting smoking by going from two packs a day to one? 
Does that really help? It actually makes it worse. It makes you have greater cravings. You, you use the Jack Spirko patented wad and toss method if you want to quit smoking cigarettes. The Jack Spirko wad and toss cigarette quitting method. Take your pack, wad it, and toss it into the garbage and don't buy any more. It will suck for a week. After a week, you'll be able to function in society again without a cancer stick between your fingers, right? That's how you quit smoking. It's how you quit drugs. It's how you keep quit drinking. I can't prove it. But I believe that carbohydrate addiction is more powerful than the addiction of most drugs. And I believe it has the same types of withdrawal symptoms. And when you shift the body majorly in any diet, you're going to have side effects to that while the body adapts to it. So you're going to be going through a, a, a food shift and a withdrawal. So the first week, write it off and eat as much as you want, as long as you eat the right foods. And then kind of get yourself into a rhythm and do it for 30 days. After 30 days, if you're like, Jack, it sucks. It didn't do me any good at all. I'll believe you. I haven't found anybody that did it for 30 days yet and came back with that. All right? Just saying. Um, so next one here. Uh, let me do a little bit more on breakfast foods. Just don't be limited. You, the reason you believe that toast and juice and cereal is breakfast is because society told you that's the way it was. You were brought up with it. That's what your mom served you. That's what her mom served her. And that's probably what grandma served grandpa. Right? Oatmeal and that's, it's breakfast because we've decided that's breakfast. You can have anything you want for breakfast. So be more open minded. But definitely ham and eggs, steak and eggs, bacon and eggs. Those are my staples. And a lot of mornings I really don't eat breakfast. Uh, I'll have a cup of coffee with some heavy cream and that's my breakfast. And you might want to try that. I don't know. Might work for you, might not. All right. Um, this one says, I don't have any questions. I just want to let you know that in two weeks since I started doing the paleo diet, I've been feeling remarkably better. I went off it for a bit on this past Saturday. I had a Coke and a lot of starches. The next day I felt like a mild hangover. It just brought to mind how good the diet is for me. That's a very common thing too. Let me tell you another very common thing. You do it for 30 days or 40 days or something like that, and you say, you know what, I've earned it. I'm going to go out, and I'm going to go sit down and have a big thing of nachos or something like that, or whatever does it for you, right, like peanut butter and jelly on a big toast piece of toast or whatever it is that like you remember as being like so good. And you sit down and you eat it, and you know what you think to yourself when you're done? That wasn't worth it. That doesn't taste anything like I remember it. Don't drink Coca-Cola or any other soda for 45 days. Even if you don't do the paleo diet, just quit sodas. It completely. And any kind of sweetened drink, sweet tea, sweetened anything, and no fruit juices. Go with water or a little bit of fruit juice and water, things like that. Tea without a lot of sweetener, very, very mild sweetening, if at all. Kill all artificial sweeteners. Kill all high fructose corn syrup sweeteners. 45 days into it, open that Coke and take a drink of it. You'll spit it out. I don't care if you're the biggest Coke addict in the world. I mean Coca-Cola, right? You will spit it out. It will taste like utter crap as soon as you break yourself from the addiction. I'm telling you. When you started drinking it, you were probably a little kid. Children's taste buds are different than adults. They're more inclined to go to the sweet because when they were living in a paleo lifestyle, they had to eat as much fruit as they could to get as much calories as they could before they went into the winter because they were smaller and they were growing and they had more caloric need. Right? That doesn't mean they should be drinking Coke, but it means that they're more susceptible to the allure of something like Coca-Cola or RC or root beer. But if you take it away... And what you'll find is whenever you do have a soda in the future, uh, or a root beer or something, you're going to want something handmade, artesian style, sweetened with real sugar. 
Let me say right now before I even get to the question about it that uh, if you have a choice between like saccharin or NutraSweet or any kind of artificial sweetener and regular sugar, you're probably better off with regular sugar. You really are. It has to be in moderation. It's certainly not paleo. Uh, but occasionally, you know, you can live a little, right? Um, you can have some of that stuff. But you're probably better off with real sugar or honey over just about any of the sweeteners. About the only sweetener I'm okay with is stevia. And, and I'll save my thoughts on that for when we get to that question. Next one's an interesting question. It's one I don't have a lot of expertise on. It says, Jack, is, is there an opinion on vitamins and other supplements in the paleo community? I'm thinking that since they're man-made, not found in nature, in isolated forms like we purchased, they would be avoided. I would say in the majority of cases, yes. But if you have a certain deficiency, um, that addressing that deficiency makes sense. As we age, a lot of people uh, end up with deficiencies in B12. Can't prove it again, but I believe a lot of it is our modern uh, diet. Uh, wheats and things like that are actually doing damage to our digestive system. And what happens is even if we eat meat, we're, we can't absorb the B12. So many elderly people have mild to severe pernicious anemia, and that is a deficiency in, in B12. And many people that are like miserable, you take them off to the doctor and get them a happy shot. You know, and a happy shot sounds like some kind of dope. It's not. It's a B12 shot. So you give them a shot of B12, and all of a sudden they're the happiest person on the planet. Well, they're not. They just feel good, and they, they haven't felt good for so long, it's almost euphoric to feel good. So they seem like they're almost high. With happiness in a good way, right? You know, without any, and then when the B12 wears off, they gotta go get another shot. Well, you can do sublingual B12, uh, and that was brought out by a network marketing company that I don't really like, but that was a good innovation, and there's a lot of people now that you can just go down to the store and buy sublingual B12. You put this little taste, you know, taste okay tablet underneath your tongue, and it absorbs the B12 directly into your bloodstream. So if you have a B12 deficiency, that would be something I would look at. I think of all the things that you would take as a supplement out of the vitamin world, D vitamins during the short photo period time of year like now would be the one that makes the most sense because our body can't really get it from our diet uh, in just about anything else that we would eat, paleo or non-paleo, uh, except for, you know, jerry-rigged milk, which I try to limit my consumption of to begin with. So I would say vitamin D during the short photo periods of time or at any time where you're being forced to spend more time indoors than you should. Uh, I think a lot of the herbal stuff makes sense, but I think that if you start cooking with whole herbs, you'll do away with a lot of need for taking an herbal supplement, quote-unquote. I think that things like wheatgrass, uh, juice, and things like that do a lot of supercharging of, of, our, of our nutrient needs, and if we're growing some portion of our own food, that takes care of a lot of it as well. But if, you, if you're displaying any deficiencies, like if you have something wrong, and that's very clearly probable linking of a deficiency in vitamin whatever or mi mineral or micronutrient whatever, supplement that specific thing that's missing and also try to figure out where you can get it from your diet. If the problem goes away, well, you've, you've hit spot on. If the problem doesn't go away, maybe you need to talk to your doctor because it's a deeper issue. But you, you're doing no harm by taking a magnesium and calcium supplement, you know, and Learn a little bit too, like just like I said, magnesium and calcium. If you're deficient in one, you're probably deficient in both. The two need each other. 
So you don't want to take calcium or magnesium. You want to take magnesium and calcium. That's really not my area of expertise. Get a good book. Talk to a good uh, natural practitioner or what have you. But uh, I don't think that we need to spend a lot of time worrying about that. Rob Wolf's pretty heavy into it, though. And you can get a lot of information about supplements on his website and in his book, The uh, Paleo Solution. Uh, next one says, uh, number one, if or when ketosis occurs on a paleo regime, what kinds of food are best for supporting Optimal liver and kidney function. Let me say this very, very clearly. Ketosis is not bad. Ketosis is not bad. Ketosis is not bad. All it means is you're burning fat. You're burning your fat stores when you're in ketosis. If you're on a diet and you're trying to lose weight and you're trying to burn fat, you want to go into a state of ketosis. Ketoacidosis and other things like that are, are dangerous. But you do not need to worry about your liver and kidney function because when you're you're burning fat, you're in a ketosis state. I will let Dr. Ellis go deeper into the the ketosis and ketoacidosis and all the things around them tomorrow. But I just want to go on record and tell you, don't flip and worry about it unless you have pre-existing problems with your kidneys and liver. And that's something you can consult with your doctor about. But I'm telling you right now, being in a ketotic state is not a bad thing. And you, when you go into a low-carb diet, you're trying to go into that state. It literally means your body is taking your fat stores and burning them. That's a good thing if you're a fatty. You want to burn that fat, not burn the muscle. If you're losing weight and you're not in ketosis ever, you're losing muscle and organ. You're not losing fat. Okay, second one. Do you consider diet colas to be strictly prohibited on a paleo regime? Yes, I do. Next question. Seriously, I'm not completely diet cola, one of the worst things that's ever happened to America. Uh, I'm going to save my thoughts on the artificial sweeteners for a question I know is coming up on that. Uh, number one, a lot of paleo sites seem to be pushing coconut oil, coconut flour, and similar products. I keep hearing mentions of studies where pigs were given coconut oil to fatten them up, instead became lean. What are your thoughts on coconut products and how they relate to paleo preppers? Well, the coconut is a staff of life in many uh, tropic and subtropic regions. Anywhere the coconut exists, it's always been seen as a food for human beings. Uh, whether people were kind of running them as uh, little, you know, uh, uh, what do you call it, uh, farms or uh, you know, like coconut orchards or whatever you would want to call them, uh, by actually even planting them and taking care of them a bit or just using them out of the wild. The coconut and man go back as far as when man cracked the first coconut open to see what was in there and said, hey, this stuff is pretty good. So c coconut is a good paleo food. It is a high-fat food. And that is not bad. Your body can burn fat. I'm going to tell you this now. You hear people all the time in mainstream medicine telling you a flat-out lie. What they tell you is that everything that you take into your body eventually is converted into sugar, and then it's used for fuel. That is wrong. Sugar is converted into other types of sugar and used as fuel. Starches are broken down into thousands and thousands of different sugars until they get down to a component level of sugar that the body uses, glucose, and are burned as sugar in your body. Protein is mostly converted to sugar to be used for fuel. About 60% of protein is converted into sugar and then burned as fuel. Fat is taken into the body and m many cases burned as fat and used by the body as fat and done as fat and never is converted to sugar Ever. Your body can and does burn fat. I'll let Dr. Ellis extrapolate on that for you guys tomorrow. Um, but when we start saying we're going to use coconut flour, for what? 
Are we going to try to make a coconut cake out of coconut flour? I mean, we can go too far with anything. I think we have to look at how did people use it. Now, it has to be thinking. Coconut flour might cut a little bit crispy. Take some shrimp and dust them with it and hit them in a little olive oil and crisp them up. How would that come out? I don't know, but that would be acceptable to me. I think that would be kind of cool. So maybe coconut flour is something I need to play around with. I, I've never used it in my life, so I don't know. My wife's not a fan of coconut as itself, so we don't eat a lot of it. Not I like it, but she doesn't, so I try to keep most of the stuff in the house, things that we'll both eat. I talked about dessert with a little mixture of some nuts and pumpkin seeds and raisins. Throw some fresh shredded coconut in there. It really kind of livens that up as another dessert thing. So coconut, whole coconut, good to go. Uh, I cook with coconut oil. If you've never cooked with coconut oil, try it. It's a wonderful fat to cook with. Um, it can get hot without smoking. It does a great job, and it's a very neutral tasting. If you think, I don't like the taste of coconut, um, cook with coconut oil. And here's another thing. Uh, most people, when you cook with coconut oil, they can't discern it at all. Uh, when uh, Patrick and his wife, uh, Emily, were with me this weekend, they came down from Kansas. Uh, we did a video on knife sharpening I'll have up for you guys sometime this week. And, a, and a, we did an interview with them that will get up as soon as they get their sight back up, their sights down. Um, he had, they had brought some chocolate chip cookies that Emily had made. And uh, I indulged. I had a cookie. I did limit myself to one. But I ate that. I said, is there coconut in there? And it turned out she had used coconut oil. I'm telling you that six months ago I could have never discerned that, that your taste comes back when you stop killing it with all of these toxic foods, and wheat is a toxic food in my opinion, uh, and, and fructose corn syrup is a toxic food in most people's opinion. I think even if you don't agree with me on the wheat, most people on this audience agree on the uh, fructose corn syrup. Uh, number two, I've heard Rob, you say that Rob Wolf does not favor legumes due to other health issues. What is Dr. Ellis' take on legumes? I don't know. Uh, I'll ask him what his take on legumes is, other than I'll probably tell you that Dr. Ellis is going to be less regimented than me and be more about how many calories are you eating a day and how many are coming from carbohydrate. So if you want to eat some beans, go ahead, but you know you have to figure out how many carbs are in there and keep your carbs under about 60 carbohydrates a day, including Dr. Ellis will tell you, and this is where I'm not quite sure we're in sync, on the number of carbohydrates created by the conversion of protein to glucose in the blood. Right, so... I'll let him expand on that. I, I put the question in there, even though it's more for Ellis um, than me, because I wanted to comment on legumes today. I am not as regimental against legumes as Rob Wolf is. I just don't believe they should make up a staple in the diet. So let's say I was eating a steak and I wanted to have a little serving, you know, a small handful size serving of lentils that day with some chopped garlic and onions and some other celery and stuff mixed in there to bulk it out but make the, le the, the lentil a small component of the total, I would eat that. I'm not going to eat it every day. It's not going to be a main side dish for me. But it might be tonight's side dish. Tomorrow's side dish might be I take a beautiful little sweet potato and I, I roll it in oil and then I roll that in salt, like sea salt, and I wrap that in aluminum foil and I bake that on the, on the grill. And then I eat that. That might be my starch for that evening. But I'm not going to have starch at all in my, my afternoon eating and not in any kind of dessert or thing like that. So it's going to be those one little thing. I'm okay with leggings for that. I think that Rob has more issues 
with, uh, with uh, gluten, and there's some gluten in the legumes. He's got celiac disease or something like that, and that's why he's more regimental on that. So I'm okay with some legumes once in a while. I just don't think rice and beans should be the main cores, and the little tiny bit of meat slivered on top of it should be your protein. I think that the ratios are off is more my concern. And I do would say that you should minimize true legume consumption. I don't consider when you eat a green bean that you're eating a legume because the bean portion has very, very small development and the pod is really what you're eating when you eat like a string bean or a green bean. The plant itself I know is a legume, but as far as the dietary consumption, it's not. Uh, next question kind of gets in that mode. Jack, how do you call what you do paleo when 90% of the foods that you are on your list of things you eat didn't probably exist in the days of our paleo ancestors? I would tell you many of them probably did, but it doesn't matter. It's about the composition of the foods. We know that our paleo ancestors ate greens whenever they were edible. We know they ate tubers whenever they were edible. And they know that if they could club something on the head and turn it over, stick a knife in it, and cut meat and fat out of it, they ate that too. We know this. And that's just all there is to it. So when we look at all of those things in nature, i got to tell you this, other than the crap that we feed a cow, a piece of beef... And a piece of antelope ain't much different, chemically, right? Again, other than what maybe we put into the cow. Uh, a squirrel, the protein and the, the muscle from a squirrel, though it tastes very different than that from, let's say, uh, a pig, you know, a factory-raised pig. The, the, the way the body handles the protein and fat ratios in there and the lack of carbohydrates are almost identical. Wild lettuce or miner's lettuce and, you know, cultivated spinach Chemically, the body handles them the same. So I don't care whether or not a modern tomato in its current form that we recognize it existed 50,000 years ago. There were fruits, and that tomato is a fruit, not a vegetable, that were very, very similar to the tomato in their composition. So it's about matching the composition, not matching the exact foods. Many of the foods they ate are gone. They killed them all. Right, Because they didn't know what they were doing. They didn't exercise control. That's how we ended up with agriculture in its current form in the first place. Moving on to the next one here. I have ulcerative colitis, and I've been considering starting a paleo diet to try to help manage this. Could paleo help with colon issues in general? EXP, Crohn's, IBS, ulcerative colitis, etc. Fish oil has helped me as it reduces swelling, but I wonder if probiotics would help to heal the inside. I think paleo would. I think definitely you sound like a person that should be on fermented foods. Uh, since I had asked Brian, the guy from Ask Brian on, Brian Davis, I went out and brought a, bought a crock from Amazon. I, I found like these high-end crocks for making your sauerkraut that are like 300 bucks. And I found one that's also from Germany that's only like 100 bucks. And I bought it, and it's awesome. And I wanted to link to it for you guys. And when I went back to it, it was sold out, so I'll check today. But I've been making my own sauerkraut, and it is Absolutely fabulous. It takes me back to being a little kid. I forgot what it was like. It is so flippin' awesome. It doesn't taste anything like that garbage that you buy from a store. It's alive, it's crunchy, it's sweet. Let me give you my recipe for some really badass crap. This was the first one I did. I did two cabbage, two heads of cabbage. They were like three to five pound heads, probably averaging out about two, about eight pounds of cabbage. I just cut it up, just sliced it up. I didn't shred it with a grater or anything. I just chopped it all up. Uh, used about, I'd say, four tablespoons of salt, just sprinkling as I was adding it in. I used about 12 ounces of shredded carrot, and I just bought organic shredded carrot, like matchsticks that were already done, so I didn't have to do that, and I used five apples. 
peeled the apples, cored them, and sliced them up into slices, uh, probably about the size of a quarter, and about as thick, a little thicker than a quarter. And I put them in there. Then I used about a half a bottle of caraway seeds, you know, standard spice bottle. This is what I would do definitely next time. I'd probably use 10 apples, and uh, I'd probably use the whole jar of the caraway seeds. I really like caraway seeds, but I did that. It's been in the, the crock now for about 12, 14 days, somewhere in there, and I've been eating a little bit of it at a time as it's changed. Like, I tried it the next day, and it just was like salty cabbage. It tasted almost like a coleslaw, like a dry slaw, and then now it has a little bit of a tart tang taste. But even my wife, who's like, I hate sauerkraut, I hate dill pickles, it gets, ugh. she tried it, she goes, I could eat some of that. And I'm like, if you would just eat two spoonfuls of this a day, it supercharges your gut. So I really think fermented foods have a place here as far as dealing with these conditions, I'll ask Dr. Ellis about them tomorrow. I think he'll tell you that a low-carb approach is going to be very beneficial for most people. Stuff like this, you do need to talk to a medical professional. I think a lot of you need to work hard to find a doctor who will work with you with a low-carb approach. And there's more and more and more of them. Uh, and more and more people are starting to realize the brilliance of this way of living. And I think if we just take away all the bias that society and government have given us and corporations have given us and just think logically and say, well, what did people do before we had everything in a box? We don't even have to have the argument about paleo, prehistory, and what we know and what we don't know, and the first agriculture. Folks, 2,000 years ago, most people were still living a very hunter-gatherish lifestyle, unless they were living right smack in the middle of an ancient city, Right? Anybody that was outside of that city that was herding goats or something, they were living a very hunter-gatherer style lifestyle. They were living on the, the milk and the butter and the cream from their goats. They were slaughtering their goats for meat. They were hunting. They were gathering whatever they could find. They weren't cultivating fields because the goats were just being grazed on the fields. And any other way that you look at it, this is how people lived. So if we just accept that, if we stop trying to fight that, and we take the religious crap argument out of it, don't make this a religious argument. Don't. It doesn't have to be. Because we, like I said, we can go back a thousand years, and I can still point to the majority of people outside of cities living a largely paleo existence. I can tell you early America, when we were first, uh, you know, I'm talking after we became America, right? After we got our, 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 our sovereignty and we left the, the British crown and we look at the 1800s, what do you think most people that went west lived on until we killed them all? They're called buffalo. Do you think the guy out on the range was eating corn and wheat? Really? Or do you think he was eating what was around him? You know, the guy that was trapping, the guy that was trapping muskrats, you know, and trapping beavers, you know what he was eating? Muskrat and beaver, folks. This is a modern, this is a very modern way that we're living today, and that's why it's causing us so many problems. And even the, the, the grain that was being consumed has changed. All right, so that's just, I'm trying to get you to be a little more open-minded, those of you that are closed-minded to this. Um, paleo in reference to someone's natural build heritage and genetics. What are your thoughts on human origins in terms of paleo? Asians compared to Anglos compared to Scandinavians, for example. Would you get better benefit coming off a healthy American diet? Harder to find healthy in a few sentences as it's so subjective, but in your terms. So I know what you mean by healthy American diet, what they tell us we're supposed to be eating. And I think most people would be better off of that diet and on a more paleo-style diet. I think that, like, and I think there's another question here later about the, you know, eat right for your type, you know, your blood A, B, O, and all that stuff. I think there's something there. I think there's something there. But I think that um, a, a, a black man from Tanzania, a, a white dude from Illinois, 
uh, a big old strapping Viking from Scandinavia, an Australian Aboriginal, uh, and a native to the area of Patagonia. If we put all of those people together in the same room, they have far more biochemically in common than they have different from each other. I don't care what their blood type is. That we come from a common ancestry, and we have a common way that we process foods, and we have a common way that our body works. If we didn't, a doctor would have to know how to work on somebody differently because they had a different blood type. All he needs to know is to give them the right kind of blood during a transfusion. So I don't. And now, can there be some subtleties to this? Can would a person with an AB maybe do better with a little bit more legumes into their diet? Yes, but they're still going to be primarily be weighted to the paleo side of things. You know, can a person with a certain blood type maybe tolerate a little bit more wheat? Probably, but that you know, my grandfather. This is how I feel about wheat. Right? It's a toxin. It's designed to not be eaten. Take some raw wheat, hard wheat, berry, stick it in your mouth and chew on it. You'll see what I mean. Right? It's not food. Not for humans. It's not supposed to be eaten. If you eat a wheat berry, you destroy it. When you when you crap it out, it doesn't grow. If you eat a grape and swallow the seed and crap it out, you grow a grapevine. It's designed to be eaten. The wheat is not designed to be eaten by people. That's why it makes us sick. So if you can tolerate it, that doesn't mean that maybe it's best for you. But maybe you can include a little bit more of it in your diet and still do well. It's up to you to experiment with what percentages you can add in. But I'm telling you the best thing to do would be go full tilt bore for 30 days. And then once you adjust to it, adapt to it, and like it, start adding a little bit here and there. And only do one thing at a time and monitor what happens. If you start putting weight on, you're doing everything the same, and you put a pound on a week instead of taking a pound off that week, you went too far with whatever that change was. So I, I do think there's something there, but I don't think it's the majority of what matters. Uh, next question. I'm over 60 and I've eaten a relatively healthy diet most of my life. Ironically, I ate the, a lot of fast food while a truck driver for what is now United National Foods. My grandparents lived into their 90s eating pre-industrial diet with lots of wheat and potatoes balanced with lots of butter, cheese, and real meat. My question is, is it worth it for me at my age to deprive myself of some of the foods my ancestors ate because paleo makes sense? Let me back up because you reminded me of something. My, I mentioned my grandfather and I didn't say anything. My grandfather smoked camel no filters into his 90s. He drank like a fish every day and he lived to be an old man. And except for the last year of his life, he was relatively healthy other than he was beaten down from working in the mines. That doesn't mean that you should go out and start smoking camel no filters or that it was good for him even though it didn't hurt him. All right, So that's when this stuff about, well, you know, can you handle a little bit more? Sure, but it doesn't mean you should. Uh, on your question, okay, first of all, let's, when we, we use the word ancestors, uh, to me... Uh, your grandparents are not your ancestors in, in the way that I'm using the term today. They're your grandparents. Like your, your ancestors are way back, right? The people you don't even know their names. They're, they're across many, many, many centuries. So as far as your grandparents eating a lot of uh, wheat and potatoes, balanced with butter and cheese and real meat, I think that can work, but I think it has a lot to do with genetics. Some people are predisposed and they can eat a lot more food and, and process it better. Uh, a lot of it probably has to do with their activity levels. 
Uh, they may have been, if they were farmers or something like that, but God, they worked, you know. Think about it this way. If you got a fire burning hot enough, you can take any log, even a wet log, and throw it on that fire, and it'll start to smoke a little bit, but it'll dry out and it'll just ash instantly. If you're working 16-hour days and you're constantly going, you can eat almost anything. It doesn't mean it's good for you, but you're not going to get fat because your body's going to burn it because you've pushed your caloric level up. And you also have to understand something about, you know, like our grandparents' generation with the weed and the potatoes and stuff into their diet. Uh, many times it was because that's what they could afford. We're going to talk a little bit about affordability here in a bit. Um, but I, that was a big part of it. They ate potatoes because they could afford potatoes. And they ate less meat because they couldn't afford as much meat. So again, it was having to adapt to a situation. High caloric demand due to workload and low funding to fund how many, you know, to be able to get that much calories, how much meat would you have to, have to buy? Right? So there's, there's a balance that needs to be done there. Here's a question I just, to me, I don't get it. I really don't. It's almost like you're looking for an excuse. And I'm sorry when, if you're the person that asked this question, but I do. I just feel like, come on. Um, The only questions I have about paleo are how. How does one transition? Let me answer that before I go any further. You just do it. I already said, you quit cold turkey and do it for 30 days. Quit whining. I mean, if you really want to know if it'll work for you, again, you can go to jail for 30 days. I'll try to temper that a little bit here. How does one eat meat mostly for every meal? You just do. All right? But then there's this one. I don't love large amounts of meat. Okay, I understand that. So you need to look at large amounts of vegetables and eat fatty cuts of meat, really fatty, high-calorie cuts of meat, because that way you don't have to eat as much meat to get the caloric requirement for the fat meat side of things, the protein and fat side of things. So you need to be get the majority of your calories, though, from meat and fat. So that's how you do it. I can't picture meat, meat and veggies equaling the volume of, of, of diversity needed to satisfy Okay, this is the other one. Okay, you guys got to get off this. Uh, well, there's not enough diversity. I'm saying you don't eat potatoes. You don't eat wheats and grains, right? You don't, mostly you don't eat legumes and you don't eat rice. Okay, that's four things. And there's millions of things to be eaten. Taking away four does not destroy the diversity, the volume, or the availability of a diet to you. That means that most things that are not in the center of the store in a package are still on the table. When you go to the produce section, the only thing not on the table are the white potatoes. Get over yourself and try it if you really want to try it. Now, the next one. This is where I just I say, I don't, I don't get this. Are you hunting three times a week? No, I have a business to run. I buy meat in a store. Um, butchering all other days? No, I buy meat in a store. I buy meat from the farmer's market. I buy meat from local suppliers. And yes, I hunt. And when I hunt, I butcher my own meat. And soon I will be butchering my own rabbits and pigeons and things like that that I grow. And I will rely less on mass market products. But I do eat some mass market meat because I can't afford to do 100% free range organic. Right? And I'm telling you, you're, and most people that will go, I want to stick to organic. You're not eating organic bread. Most of you aren't, so whatever. Um, what about winter veggies? What about them? There's millions of them. Broccoli, cabbage, kale, onions, garlic. Go to the store and buy the other stuff. You can get it all the time. Some very practical how-to info from starting from sad 
And arriving at a paleo diet would be wonderful. I guess you mean seasonal affected disorder. Eating paleo will probably fix it. And get outside and do some work and grow some vegetables under some plastic out in the snow and get out there and get some sun on your body and get heated up enough where you can take the jacket off for a few minutes a day and stand out there in the cold and feel it and let the sun hit your skin and make some natural vitamin D and you'll get over your sad. Alright, some practical information. I've been doing nothing but that. I've done nothing but that before I started. I know I sound like I'm getting a little bit irritated here, but if you read Rob Wolf's book, you're starting to sound like a person in that book. Read the book and you'll know who I'm talking about. Maybe a week's typical manual or other practical guides. I eat anything I want that's not one of those five things. Right? It's not a grain. It's not a hard legume. Right? It's not a white potato. I mean, that's pretty much, it's not a pasta, which is is grain-based, right? And it's not rice. It, it, that's it. Anything else you want. Anything else you want. One more time. Anything else you want. Don't make it hard. It's not. Any good recipe resources would be appreciated, too. Uh, there's a lot of, just go paleo resources on, or paleo recipes on Google. You'll find books. You'll find websites. Rob has a lot on his site. A lot of other people are doing this. They have great recipes, too. But don't get so convoluted with recipes. I think recipes and trying to compensate for things are why other diets like Atkins and Protein Power fail. You're not supposed to eat the French fried potato, so we try to make something taste like a French fried potato. Right? Just... Just start cooking. Get a bunch of herbs and go to town. Quit looking for a reason it won't work for you and flip and try it for 30 days. 13, you mentioned that you don't eat white potatoes. Was that based on your personal preference or part of the paleo solution? Both, um, to a degree. I don't eat because my personal preference is that I don't eat things that make me fat. And I know that potatoes are pure sugar. A starch is a sugar. If you eat a pound of potato, you just ate a half a pound of sugar. I'm a brewer. I make beer. I know how starch breakdown works. Your body is very good at converting starch to sugar. If you eat a pound of bread, you ate a half a pound of sugar. If you take a one-pound baked potato, right, and then get a scale and weigh it, whatever that number is, cut it, you know, one pound would be one pound, right? You know what I mean? A big baked potato like most people would eat. Right, size of potato. Even if you cut it up, that's what you're going to eat. Weigh it. See what it weighs. Take that number, cut it in half. Go to a sugar bowl, fill up a container, and put the same half of the amount, that half amount of sugar in there. Look at it. That's what that potato is. That's why I don't eat potatoes. But Rob, of course, says, yeah, no potato, no white potatoes. And if I'm going to eat a white potato once in a while, fine. But I know I'm cheating, right? And I know that I'm going to let Greg explain this, but there's a very scientifically known fact. Once insulin levels in your blood go over a certain number, and I think it's 18 microliters, all fat burning in the body stops. So the glycemic index is basically bullshit. It's not about a spike. It's anything that puts the, 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 the insulin level over 18 microliters. And like I said, Dr. Ellis can explain this better than me. But when you eat a potato, one potato, it's done. So that day, you're not burning fat while that's going through your body. And you're not burning fat again until that insulin level returns below that 18 microliter level. And a lot of obese people wake up with a fasting, uh, uh, you know, level, uh, that it's up in the 30s. They can't burn fat until that insulin level comes down. Period. End of story. So, uh, that, that, that's where that came from. And, uh, I think a potato is one of the absolute worst things for you to eat in any quantity. Because it is such a straight conversion. 
It is really a 50% conversion. So is bread. Right? We learned that from Stephen Harris making alcohol fuels, right? All right, so all this stuff ties together. Uh, since you've mentioned cholesterol, since you mentioned cholesterol, have you had yours checked and can you share your figures with us? Absolutely, positively not. I don't give a damn about my cholesterol. I care about my general health. I think that more and more scientific information every day is coming out to prove the cholesterol myth. Uh, there was a lot of research done, uh, about this by a doctor a long time ago. And it's been ignored and crapped on and swept under the table. Anyway, I can't remember this guy's name or his book, but I read it a long time ago. And he discusses how cholesterol levels in the blood are nowhere near as important as modern science is making them. And if kids had, you know, what we would call elevated cholesterol, so you can go too far with this. You could be, you know, you have lard pumping through your veins or something uh, where it goes really to the extreme. But what we generally look at as high cholesterol uh, in a child, it just would flow right through and have no problems. It's, it's part of the fuel the body uses. And uh, the, the big issue is, again, we're back to our friend B12 and a vitamin B12 deficiency uh, and a toxic amino acid called homocysteine, which damages the walls of the blood vessels themselves so that the cholesterol has something to snag against as it's flowing through the blood, and that's where the, the plaque buildup comes from. So I'm not really worried about my cholesterol levels. And I'll tell you this, if my cholesterol levels were through the roof, I might really worry. But if they were just what modern science considers elevated, I'm happier with a little bit of high cholesterol than I am with statins destroying my flipping liver. And I think this is another lie, and I will let Greg Ellis talk about it more because he has more expertise in that area than I do. Fifteen, I wanted to share my experience with paleo in hopes that some of your listeners who might already uh, be at their target weight and live an active lifestyle could benefit from paleo as well. Also, two points that Rob makes in a paleo solution which make good sense to share with the audience. Sleep is essential, eight hours or more in a completely dark room. On that, I recently listened to one of Rob's podcasts, and he said the completely dark room thing, if you can sleep soundly without complete darkness, you don't really need it. I think Rob's changed his tune on a lot of things since he's written his book. Um, but basically, you do need eight hours of solid sleep. So this thing about taping the little light off on the VCR and all, if it doesn't bother you, I don't think it matters. The point is, do you sleep soundly for at least eight hours? Uh, number two, cortisol levels are key to healthy lifestyle. Humans, like other animals, are not designed to experience chronic stress. In a, in a wild state, stress is acute, fight or flight. Occasionally, you used to mention that stress from corporate America back when you were still living in Texas. Do you think your exit from corporate America may have had any impact on your success with paleo? Tremendous. In fact, I would tell you this, of the, I guess it's close to, getting close to 80 pounds now of lost weight. Um, and I'm really not sure because I haven't weighed myself recently. I know I've lost more. I can just tell by feeling my, my body that I'm continuing to firm and tighten up. Um, but I will tell you that when I first left corporate America, all I did was stop going out on all these dinners and at client entertainment and stuff like that. And all I did was stop being stressed out. And I would say in the first 60 days, I lost 10 of those pounds by doing nothing with it from a dietary standpoint. Nothing. That was just the stress reduction. And I would tell you that a lot of it's probably helpful. And redu reduction of stress uh, is something we should all be doing, not just for paleo and not just for the way we, we live, but for all things. Thoughts on sweet potatoes. Thoughts on condiments and sauces. Sweet potatoes. I like them. They're on my do-eat list. They are a moderation food. I want to make sure that the majority of my calories come from protein and fat sources. Uh, condiments and sauces, if they have sugar, no. 
or in very, very sparingly, uh, but a lot of stuff is fine. So read the label and see what you're getting out of there calorically and where those calories are coming from and count them like you would anything else. Uh, number 17, I am fine with the paleo diet, especially since I'm allergic to gluten. Giving up dairy was difficult, plus I learned the effects of coconut milk the hard way, which becomes the loose way for hours uh, of reading time in the library. Uh, so be careful with the coconut milk, folks. I've never had that problem, so I don't drink that much of it. One thing I cannot give up is going out with friends once or twice a month for lunch or dinner. I break every single rule. I have wine with dinner and eat whatever I want. Then it's back to discipline land and dealing with the gluten side effects. My question is, does this interruption disturb weight loss? Yes. I've lost five pounds in six weeks. I'm female on the wrong side of 50 and have advanced osteoarthritis. I do exercise daily and include a weight lifting routine three times a week. So that's me in a nutshell. We can have nuts. What am I doing wrong? Okay, I'll tell you what. Here's the thing. The wine with dinner... Don't, one of the real things we need to do with our diet is not have guilt when we do things that we know we shouldn't do, as long as we don't do them chronically. If you occasionally you want to go eat a big piece of chocolate cake, I'll tell you the three things that can happen. One, I look at the cake and say, I don't need it now, and I really don't, and I don't care, and I walk away from it. That's the best outcome, right? Number two, and this is the second best outcome. I look at the cake, say I've earned the cake, it's worth having, and I know that I don't have that big of a gluten intolerance issue with it, it, hopefully, or I eat a sufficiently small portion of it that I don't create that problem for myself, and I eat that chocolate cake and I feel very good about it, and I feel very happy and I feel like it was a wonderful thing. That's, that's, that's the next best thing that can happen. The, the, and then we're going into the worst, right? We're going the other way on the spectrum. So then the next thing that can happen that's, that's almost the absolute worst thing that I can do is I can eat the cake and then I can feel guilty about it, right? That's almost the worst thing you can do. It really is. That's actually going to have more negative effect on your life and your body in general than anything else. The, the worst thing you can do, though, is not eat the cake and then feel like you lost out, right? So we have to get to a state where we have enough mental strength to walk away from the cake most of the time and enough common sense to eat it once in a while and not feel deprived. If we feel deprived, we're not going to be happy either. right? And you won't feel deprived if you get on it right. Uh, and then the breaking every single rule, I think that's a problem. I think that's a problem. I think, I think if you go out once a month and do that, fine. Except you have gluten intolerance. So eat stuff that doesn't have gluten in it. right? Don't tell me that you're giving something up when you sit down to a ribeye or a plate of barbecue ribs. Or a, or a grilled piece of quail, right? You're eating better than most people ever do. So stop. You see, the problem is you still feel like you're lacking something. You're not eating poison. And if you have gluten intolerance, it's really poison for you. Stop thinking you're being deprived by not consuming poison. Change the mental state. Uh, could you give us a few days of your meal plan? I think I've done that enough. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner. I eat everything except pasta and rice and wheat and grains and bread. Okay? And rice. And I don't eat many legumes. That's it. And I eat anything I want, whenever I want to, and I really don't care. And I think that's, don't try to make this a regime. I won't, it's like me telling you exactly what my stores are. I have six of these, I have seven of those. 
Do, it's your life. Live it. Quick question. I know how great Paleo Solution Diet has been for you, but just from listening, I've noticed that since your move, you've greatly increased your day-to-day physical workload just by tending your home, gardens, pets. I would personally love to try this uh, system of nutrition and wonder if it would work for a guy who's easily 100 pounds overweight, currently 300 pounds, six foot four. I get to the gym about once a week and work five days a week and sit it down off his job. Yes, it will work for you. The more activity you add to it, the more it will work for you. But if you do it, it will work for you even at your current activity level. Uh, my suggestion for you is going to be this. For your lunch period, get the hell out of your office. Get away from the negativity. Get away from the people. Bring something to eat or go somewhere where you can buy something to eat. Find a mall. Find a giant uh, a giant like box store like Home Depot or whatever and walk for the majority of your lunch break around your area outside of there. If you're in Home Depot, look at stuff and think about projects. If you are at the mall, walk around and laugh at people that are idiots. Go somewhere you can walk, whether it's raining or it's hot or it's cold. Find a few different places like that and do that. It's probably the only thing that kept me alive uh, during my employed period of time. I would get the hell away from the office and I would walk. Uh, if I had added paleo to it, I would have been that much better off. Uh, 20, I have been cutting sugar fructose from my diet for the past six months. I've lost around 30 pounds. Isn't it funny how everybody that does it, it works? You know, all the people that say, oh, it can't be true, but everybody that did it always starts out with, well, when I did it, I did this, right? I haven't done any exercises. I eat as much as I want otherwise. I've been really encouraged by the results. So what you describe similar results, it really fell in line with my experience. I learned to do this from sugar, the bitter truth, where Robert Lustig describes metabolic consequences of eating fructose. My question for you, which Dr. Lustig only touched on, is how can fructose and fruit be good? I see how it's bad metabolically now, so I don't see why it would be good in any form. It just seems to me we should avoid it at all costs. Um, if we eat it as a primary source of our calories, it's definitely bad. Period. If we eat it mixed in with other things, it's just more energy. It's just more calories. Um, I don't eat a lot of it. So when I say things like I'll eat an orange or I'll eat an apple, that's not an apple a day to keep the doctor away. That's a few slivers, slices of apple that happen to be in my sauerkraut. Or, you know, sometimes I'll sit down with a knife and a, and a, and a pear or something and I'll slice it and I'll eat it. And there's nothing wrong with that. Right? It's really a good quality food, but it can't be the primary source of our caloric intake. It can't be. Not if we want to stay healthy because it screws with our blood sugar. Remember, if we go over that 18 microliters of insulin and when we eat an apple, we probably do, at that point we're not burning fat. And I want to talk to Dr. Ellis about this tomorrow. Once we come back down the other side of it, though, we are. So it's not about just the insulin level, but it's about how long we stay at that insulin level. And I believe if your body is well-tuned... You can have things like that. And this is my thought. If I don't eat apples and pears and things like that often, they taste very, very sweet, and there's my dessert. So I can have them infrequently, and I don't feel deprived because I'm not eating chocolate cake and pastries and cheesecake. All right? And I don't care if they're the perfect thing for me. I know they're not as bad as cheesecake. Um, you've often spoken about getting a reluctant spouse on board with prepping. I was wondering if you had any suggestions for getting a family on board with a paleo lifestyle, especially as it pertains to children. Number one, your children will eat what you feed them. All of you people out there, well, I have to have corn chips and other garbage foods because I have kids, are lying to yourself. Let them get hungry. They'll cry, they'll whine, they'll complain, they'll bitch, they'll grice, they'll grout, and then they'll shut up and eat after a day or two. It's okay if they get hungry, they'll learn something from it. Unfortunately, you can't do that with your spouse. So getting your spouse on board is um, is important. Uh, I would say this, though. 
The best thing you can do is have some willpower, be a man, and even though the crap food is still in the house, don't eat it. Do it for 30 days, demonstrate the results, and they just might want some of that. And I'll tell you this as a confession. My wife is not totally on board with this. Yesterday she ate an ounce of potato chips. She weighed on the scale and said, see, I'm going to do what I want. I said, you go ahead and do what you want. You just ate poison. But it's not a lot of poison, so it'll probably work out for you just fine. But don't complain to me if you're not getting the same type of results that I am. If you'd like my results, try my way. And I think that is a much better way. That's a pull versus push. So I think by demonstrating, so just like getting a spouse on board with preparedness, if we put together a basic inexpensive blackout kit when the lights go out and everything, you're able to put lighting back into the house quickly and warm the house up with the fireplace or plug in the generator and get a window unit or whatever going and you demonstrate the effectiveness, that starts to bring them around that paleo is the same way. Demonstrate the effectiveness by doing it. What prompted you to begin your paleo diet? Was it your starting weight? It was a big part of it. Uh, I also have done a lot of research on it in the past. I was a big fan of the Protein Power Plan by the Doctors Eads. I think they got it 90% right. I think uh, Raw Wolf is closer to the right way to do things than they were. Uh, I had had success with it in the past. And this is the thing I want to... God, I hate this one. It doesn't work because as soon as you stop doing it, you get fat again. <sighs> oh, I want to smack those people. You know what? If you went on a diet where you didn't eat Twinkies and cupcakes and you lost weight... And then you started eating Twinkies and cupcakes and you got fat again? Would you say the diet didn't work or you started eating t Twinkies and cupcakes again? So it does work. So I, I did do this before and I got it into great shape. And then I went on this huge meteoric rise with, with, with corporate America and I started doing all this client entertainment and travel and stress and I stopped and I found comfort in food. So when I decided to break that cycle, this was a lot of sense in the starting plate place and I didn't go full board with it. I did transition slowly, but I'll tell you what, if I had found Rob's book earlier, I would have went right from the beginning. I think I'd be further along now. Do you feel there is any link between dietary fat and heart disease? Very little. That's my answer. If it's fat and protein primarily. When we take dietary fat and we combine carbohydrates with it, the link is huge. Because we get high caloric intake with high insulin in the blood and we do massive damage to the body and we create something called glycation and I will let Greg Ellis tell you about that tomorrow. But dietary fat and heart disease, I believe there's almost no link until we add large amounts of specifically refined carbohydrates to the mix which creates a problem of insulin resistance and diabetes, specifically type 2 diabetes and many other programs. Uh, another one comes in here. Uh, in November 2010, I went to a doctor to get started on blood work and a general checkup. I'd been fighting very high blood pressure for almost a year. The blood work showed very high LDL cholesterol and triglycerides. At the time, unmedicated, my blood pressure ran about 170 over 110. That's pretty bad. Uh, my LDL cholesterol is pushing 200. Eh, 31 years old, I refused any additional meds and told the doctor I would find a diet and start exercising. I didn't. A month later in a self-defense class, I was shocked at how slow and weak I had become. That was the final factor that made me decide to make a change. I immediately began cutting out processed foods, got a gym membership, worked myself hard at functional exercise, but did no cardio. I get that from hiking. I began doing research on the effects of processed foods. That's when I began to hear the term paleo to skip along the ways. I went into paleo as much as I could afford, and yes, I break sometimes. I enjoy a Coke or some ice cream every now and then, and I eat my pasta maybe once a month. Okay, do that and don't feel guilty about it. 
Just don't do it any more than you're already doing it. I wanted to stop there and say that. Remember, feeling guilty about doing it is worse than not doing it uh, at, at all. It really is. Um, I still go on the gym and get out hiking. The results over 10 months, I've lost 70 pounds. Rock on, dude. Uh, my blood pressure dropped to normal levels. I got off my meds. My LDL cholesterol is below 100. My triglycerides dropped within range. Can't remember the exact numbers. I've lost 5 inches off my waist, but still have a little ways to go. It has truly changed my life. I'm going to take that self-defense course again next month and see how I deal. I do. Awesome. Flipping. Awesome. 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 I just don't get any that say, you know, I did this and it sucked and it didn't work for me. I, I want everybody that's skeptical to think about that. Um, everybody I hear from that says I tried it and it didn't work, what they're saying is I tried it but I didn't do it. Right? All right. I went out and ate Big Macs and it didn't work for me, man. What's up? They're meat. Well, yeah, they're also loaded with sugar and bread and other crap you're not supposed to have. All right. Um, next one. How is paleo different from Atkins? I am a much bigger student of protein power than I have Atkins. Atkins is uh, far more uh, carbohydrate, carbohydrate restrictive uh, than, than like Rob Wolf and most paleo people are on a daily basis, especially in the early phases of the diet. Uh, but Atkins Protein Power, most of the low-carb people, here's the difference. They focus on reduction of carbohydrate. If you want to eat bread, eat it. Just count the carbs. And whatever phase you're on, make sure that if you you just did 8 grams of carbs and you're allowed 18 for that meal, you don't do any more than 10 and you can eat. What, where Paleo says there's certain foods we don't eat. We just don't eat them. If we do eat them, we know we're breaking the rules. That's one of the big things. The other thing is, and this is why I don't like the recipe crap. Atkins, Protein Power, Zone, all of that stuff lends itself to trying replacement therapy. So I don't have pancakes anymore. So how can I make a pancake that's low carb? And can I get some kind of chemically altered flour that has high fiber and all this other crap where I'm trying to compensate for as though I've actually lost something? Where with paleo, the big difference is that we're just going to eat the food the body was designed to eat and worry a lot less about, about what the total carb count is. I, you know, once in a while I run some numbers, I try to keep it under 60 a day. If it goes to 80, I'm not going to lose any sleep over it, but it's not going to be 200, right? Where if you're doing Atkins, whatever phase you're on, you have a very specific number and doesn't go over there and then put any crap food you want into that recipe as long as you keep the number down. You want Coca-Cola? Fine. Drink a Coca-Cola. Just drink two ounces of it instead of a whole can. That's Atkins. And then count those carbs. And put it with other foods that are, you know, going to get up the rest of you, you know. No, and I'm going to say don't drink the Coke at all. Or if you do, you're cheating. And it's a cheat day. And go ahead and have a Coke. And again, if you go 45 days without one, you won't want it anyway. All right, so that's the, that to me, that's the big difference. Uh, question, what about sweeteners in general? What is good, what is not? For example, if I want to sweeten tea or coffee, I can use raw honey or raw unrefined cane sugar. Is that okay in a paleo lifestyle? What about things like Spenda and Truvia? Okay, let's start out with the coffee and using the sugar or the honey. It's sugar. It's going to have an adverse response to your blood. Uh, don't use it often. Use it in extreme moderation. Basically, I use honey as a sweetener in tea. And I'll have tea with honey twice a week, maybe. Most of the time I do tea with no honey. I use a very small amount of honey even when I do. It's amazing. If you start drinking tea without honey and you use like a quarter teaspoon of honey in your tea, you, it's, it's, it's really a great addition. And you've done almost no damage because the, the calories just aren't there in that small of an amount. You're getting all that nutrition from the honey or organic raw sugar, brown sugar with the molasses still there. You get that flavor and all. If you put it in your tea all the time, 
you'll end up putting two teaspoons in and go, that still doesn't taste very sweet. It's amazing what happens when we take the sugar away and we use a little bit back. Truvia, I think, is supposed to be derived from stevia. My problem is I looked at all of these things that say they're stevia, and they also have dextrose in them. They're a mixture of stevia and dextrose. I don't know how much dextrose is in there, but to me, there's no reason for it. None at all. If you want stevia to sweeten with, go to a health food store or a website where you can find it and get stevia extract. It's pure stevia and a little dropper, and use that for your sweetener. These, these, these amalgamations, no. Splenda is a chemically altered sugar so that you taste the sugar, but your body cannot absorb it. Things that have been chemically altered that were food and have been altered so that my body now cannot process and absorb it, I don't do. Period. So Splenda, to me, out. I think it's less harmful than aspartame and some of the other stuff, but still, no. Don't do it. I did it one time. This is another reason, though, that I'm, I am opposed to artificial sweeteners in general. We've seen study after study done on this, and I just saw a very informal one done on Dr. Oz's show. Where what they did is they, they had people come into like a buffet and just watched what they ate and just said, you eat whatever you want. Eat whatever you want, right? The people that use artificial sweeteners ate almost twice as many calories, regardless of the food source, as the people who didn't. People that use artificial sweeteners eat more food. It creates cravings, and it also tricks your mind to believe that you consume sugar when you haven't, and it kicks off cravings. So besides all the other chemical problems, it will make you eat more, and it will create more cravings. You'll be giving yourself the simulation of carbohydrate without the intake of carbohydrate, and it will make going off them harder, not easier, and you'll eat more food. So there's no good that comes from them. Uh, Jack, just a quick question. Is there a positive health value in eating 75% paleo? Right now it would be hard to go 100%, but is there a positive benefits of 75? I'll give it a try. Uh, I actually really worry about that ratio. Um, he said 85, maybe. Here's my problem with that. If you start eating paleo and I tell you you can go out and eat a big old steak and stuff like that and you're eating all this fat and you're getting all these calories from fat and you add 25% potato to that, You're going to eat more. The steak that you would have left the piece that you could use for breakfast, you'll eat the whole steak when you, it's, it's crazy, but it's true. You put a big baked potato with it. So it's how you're going to do this. And if you're going to separate the consumption, if you mean that, well, I'm going to eat some carbs in the morning and then I'm going to live most of my day almost 100% in this paleo world and I'm going to separate the consumption of fat from carbohydrate, you can probably get away with it. A 90-10 ratio, you probably will do very well with. 75, I don't know that you're high enough. It all depends on how you mean that. And then there's the other thing. Um, right now, it would be hard to go 100%. Let me say one word response to anybody with that, any version of that. Bullshit. It's not hard to do anything if you actually want to. Try it for 30 days, 100%, and then back up into other foods and see how they work for you and find the way that works for you. But start with it, just like when, you know, bread. I don't eat it anymore and it makes me sad that I don't eat beer bread except maybe once every six months now, right? I'll make a, a loaf of beer bread. But when I taught you to make beer bread and I said, you want to do variations thereof, make plain old beer bread. Then make some with a cup of cheese. Then make some with some caraway seeds. Then make, right, and only do one change at a time so you can see the differences. When you make beer, make a basic ale. And then add apples to it or add a different hop or whatever so you can see the change. Just do it for 30 days and be a man. If you can't afford a lot of steaks, 
bring some less expensive, buy chicken, chicken's cheap, right? But I can't afford an organic chicken, so what? You're probably not eating organic everything anyway. Don't, you don't look for excuses, go try it. That's all I'm, you know, suggesting. And if you don't want to go 100%, fine, don't. But don't expect 100% of the results. And the real answer, will 75% work? I don't know. You can try it and see. You have to monitor yourself. All I'm saying is if you do it that way and it doesn't work, don't say paleo doesn't work. You didn't work the program. It's not that the program failed to work for you. But I have a big concern with what in your mind 25% is. Like I said, if you put starches with fat, you'll eat more food. You'll eat more food than if you just eat the starch or you just eat the fat. The two of them together trigger a response. And, 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 and they do terrible things to your blood insulin levels. Um, next one. First off, congratulations on the weight loss. I get the paleo diet concept and I plan to try it myself. Two questions for you. I'm stuck in a 40 to 60 hour job slog along with a hour commute each way. I have high stress IT role. My wife is a nurse who works a night shift. It can be hard to find time to exercise. Do you think your weight loss would have been as successful if you were still dealing with corporate America stress and time constraints? No, I don't. I still think it would have worked. I know you aren't big on the one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four type of exercise, but I'm considering a functional strength routine. Uh, your buddy Brian over at ITS Tax Practical recommend is called Corp Strength. If you want to check it out, uh, yeah. And I'll tell you this: if you're in that environment, you have to work out in the one, two, three, four style. You just kind of have to. But try to get activity level. Like I said earlier, can you take up when you take lunch? Can you get away? And I know with your role, you might not be able to. Can you do it once a week though? Are you guys like a lot of times IT you have like a shift rotation or whatever? Even 20 minutes of walking every day is a big deal. Even if you can't totally get away, can you get outside of your office and walk around the building for 20 minutes? Whatever it takes, get some more activity in. And yes, I say I don't exercise, but I don't say that because I'm saying exercise in and of itself is bad. It's because it works without exercise. That tells you something about how effective it is. Uh, but I get my activity level is huge compared to what it used to be. I do not like exercise in the one, two, three format, and I don't like a routine that's the same over and over. I've seen far too many soldiers with blown rotator cuffs from push-ups and blown knees from running. Okay? It just flat out repetitive motion on any joint is bad. Squats, bad. Doing a few squats every other week, not bad. Great way to use those big giant muscles and get some, you know, but if you sit there and do 50 squats, you're damaging your knees. I don't care if you're doing them in quote unquote perfect form. So try to figure out how, if you're going to do anything to, to try to put variety in. So if you're, if you're putting stress on your knees with squats, because that's what you got to do today, that shouldn't happen again for a week. Give the body time to heal. Again, rotator cuffs and knees, talk to soldiers that have been in the military for more than 10 years. Over half of them have some sort of a problem. Uh, I, if you ever meet me, and I was only in the Army for three years, come up to me, talk to me, I'll let you put your right hand on my shoulder, and I'll show you what I mean. All right. I have two daughters, four and five. Should I modify their diet for nutritional needs, given they are growing and developing so quickly? Yeah, paleo is perfect for developing children, folks. They need meat. They need protein, especially boys. Uh, girls too though get them off of these toxic foods don't give me this crap about your kids needing to eat differently than you that's how paleo children grew up right? they don't need pop tarts it's not good for them 
Do you still eat wolf brown chili? Does it fit the paleo diet? No and no, it does not. Do you drink milk? Very little in my coffee. How about raw milk? I'm not so big on the milk, raw milk thing. I really, it's not that big a deal to me. Uh, my concern is uh, bovine growth hormone, so I try to use organic milk products, and, and I don't. Since, and I don't even think it's that big a deal for me because I'm not a developing child. I'm not a nursing mother. I'm not somebody with a child developing in my body because I can't have children, and I just don't consume that much of it. I can use basically a pint of milk. It, it, sometimes it starts to stink before I use it up. Uh, that's 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 the reality there. But if I was using a lot of milk, I would definitely try to stay away from uh, anything with the RGBH in it. I think it's very, very damaging to our society. Are you familiar with the Weston A. Price Foundation? They're not paleo advocates, but they put out a lot of information about nutrition. Uh, nope, don't have any idea who they are. Do I like liver, organ meats, or like organ meats like heart? Uh, I don't like liver in general. I've had liver done certain ways where it's okay, but generally I think liver tastes like crappy paste. Uh, heart is actually the one organ meat that I really like because I don't really consider it an organ meat. Um, it is not like any other organ in the body. If you look at a spleen or a kidney or whatever, and you look at a heart, a heart is basically a muscle. Uh, so I take heart and I put it in the same category as steak. And I love to eat heart. I really am not a big fan of organ meats. If I eat organ meats, they're generally from like chicken or rabbit or something like that, where they're small and they're kind of cut up and they're part of something else. Uh, I can't sit down and eat kidney pie or some crap like that. I just can't do it. Uh, but I think it's really good for you. Uh, do you ever take cod oil supplements? No. Uh, probably good for you. Where'd you first hear about paleo? Um, it, it's been around for a while, but, you know, Brian really turned me on to it heavily. I'd never heard of Rob Wolf before. Apparently he had done a guest request survey for the site, but whatever email address he used didn't work. And, uh, I, it was one of the ones that got filtered out. I went back and found it after somebody told me he did, but that's where I heard about it called Paleo. I've actually been, though, from things like Protein Power, uh, been looking into the high protein, high fat, uh, dietary, uh, world since I would say 1995. Uh, but that's really going back to Protein Power. I first heard it from Karen DeCoster and some articles she posted on Lou Rockwell. Personally, I like shows you've done about paleo. I think the following government recommendations about diet and nutrition will lead to ill health. I think our government's recommendation on diet and nutrition is killing us. Uh, next one, hey Jack, you should plug the paleo diet information with Eat Right for Your Blood Type. From what you've said, it sounds like you're an O. And then there's a link to the blood O type for eat right for your type. I know I'm an O, and what he says fits for me. A fits my wife, who is an A, but O's go back to the beginning of time where hunter-gatherers. A's came along later when agriculture came about, so maybe meld the two. Thanks for your shows. I'm not sold on eat right for your type. It's a book I should read again. I had a copy of it years ago. I, it, it, it's easy for me to accept it because I'm an O, so I get to be paleo. But again, like I said earlier, I think that if we get a whole bunch of people with different blood types together, they're far more similar than different. And some may have some greater tolerances for certain foods, but that doesn't mean those foods are good for them. Just like my grandfather had a high tolerance for, for toxic cigarettes and alcohol, doesn't mean those things were actually good for him. Uh, next one, how do things like greens play in paleo? Most consider stuff like collards, kale, etc. Most find greens bitter and non-appetizing raw. Here's the thing about greens. Um, out of my garden, I have some stuff called arugula growing, and it, we call it kind of a sharp, nutty, bittery taste. Uh, we have some spinach, and when you just cut a piece and eat it, there's a little bit of bitterness, not much. Uh, we got some kale. That's got some, some bitter... Uh, quality to it. We've got a little bit of parsley out there. That's got some bitter quality to it. We've got some Swiss chard. That's got some bitter qualities to it. So 
You would think if you put all of those things together with some sliced carrots or something like that in a salad that it would be a really bitter salad. It's weird though. When you take all of these different greens and put them together in a salad, they like counteract each other and you don't get bitterness. Now if we take a good old lug of olive oil and some fresh uh, parsley and basil and some garlic and we mix that up and turn it into a tossed salad, all of a sudden it's not bitter anymore. So how do greens fit? They fit very well. And I'll also explain to you something about this. I've talked about the hypersensitivity to sugar, right? That if we break the sugar addiction, then things that we thought were just, you know, they tasted good, but they weren't really that sweet, all of a sudden they're like super sweet and too sweet. We don't want them anymore. The same thing happens with bitterness. When we get the sugar addiction broken and we start to eat things that have some bitter qualities to them, eventually we end up adapting to that bitterness and it doesn't taste as bitter anymore. It's all relative. If you think a Coca-Cola is properly sweetened, then you're going to think a piece of kale is the most bitter thing you've ever eaten. But if you break the addiction to the Coca-Cola and you drink it and you think, oh my God, that's disgusting, the kale won't taste so bitter to you anymore. Your perception has been altered by artificial reality. All I can put into it for you. Uh, number two on that same person, harvest my first broccoli crop. First two tries failed. Harvested collards too. We eat the broccoli heads, but not the leaves. Why? Broccoli leaves don't taste good. They just don't. Broccoli was selectively bred for the taste good part to be in the head, the flowers. Right? That's what a broccoli head is. It's flowers that haven't bloomed. If you let the head go, it'll turn into little, these beautiful little yellow flowers. It'll make seed. Right? So uh, where other brassias like cabbage were bred so the leaf would be the good tasting part. And you'll find as you go further in, the leaves taste better, the younger leaves. And you'll find that in most green crops. Um, uh, let me see. Uh, they never they seem similar to collards. They just don't taste like it. What part of broccoli did they eat 200 years ago? Oh, broccoli is way more than 200 years old. Uh, but originally, all brassias, that's cabbages, Brussels sprouts, uh, cauliflower, kale, etc., come from a common ancestral plant. Uh, that's a better question for Jason Akers than it is for me. Next question is, why aren't potatoes paleo, regular potatoes? No processing needed. It fits in the hunter-gatherer type of food. I think that you'd find that most people, and this was kind of my um, uh, epiphany, is that when you take a, uh, a white potato and you cut a slice off of it and you stick it in your mouth and eat it, it don't taste good. It doesn't seem like a food that most people would eat unless it was cooked and you know maybe salted and buttered. Uh, but the other thing is there's a point where we have to look at something and go, what's its composition? And again, a potato is pure sugar. And you could say, no, it's starch. No, it's not. It's a sugar. Starch is sugar. It's sugars chained together, and your body immediately begins to break them down. Take a piece of cooked potato, unsalted, unseasoned, especially if you've broken your sugar addiction, so you're not hypersensitive with sugar where you need lots of it to taste it. Put that piece of potato on your tongue and wait. It will start to get sweet all by itself, just from the starch interacting with the saliva in your mouth. It's pure sugar. That's not paleo. And then the other thing is the potato actually comes from a very limited geographic range. And if you go to the place where the potato originated from, most potatoes were colored potatoes, purples and reds and things like that. There were very few that were these big white lumps that we eat today. And even though I think that like the red potatoes, the blue potatoes, the purple potatoes 
are, are not as paleo, I still think if you're going to eat any kind of potato at all other than a sweet potato, those are some other things that you could eat, but you have to eat them in moderation. Again, you have to think about the fact that we've made this potato a crop to sustain humanity because we can grow huge amounts of it in a field, monocrop it, and store it. The potato didn't become what it is because it's good for us. It became what it is because it works. And a lot of these staples that we've been told are nutritious, the government that wants you to shut up and eat your gruel and be a good little drone is going to tell you they're good for you because they work. Just saying. Um, <clears throat> next, uh, says, regarding the list of foods you eat, I realize you're following Rob Wolf's book, which uh, I'm still waiting to get from the library. Poor man can afford to buy and not <clears throat> in local bookstores. Uh, but I've read The Paleo Diet by Lauren Cordine, Ph.D., and that one, sweet potatoes, yams, amaranth, green beans, and others are foods to avoid. Are these allowables in Rob's book, or are they choices made by your raw state epiphany? Thanks, Brian. I think that, that Rob would tell you yes to just about all of those. And I think that every author is going to have their own opinion and view on these. To me, a green bean, again, like I said, the bean portion, if you look at it, it's highly undeveloped. It's not where, you know, basically it's a pod. It's a green to me. Amaranth is a seed, not a grain. Yams and sweet potatoes are pretty much the same thing. Sweet potatoes and yams are often said by some paleo fans eat and some said not eat. I put them in the moderation category because they are a significant source of carbohydrate. They just have nowhere near the carbohydrate content that a white potato does ounce for ounce, gram for gram. Sweet potatoes are not something you can start eating like a pig now because you're on paleo. They are kind of a substitute. And I do think they are something that we can eat raw, and I think that's why they would have been uh, part of the paleo uh, lifestyle even before we discovered cooking. Uh, hi, Jack. I was talking with my wife about your experience with the paleo diet. She asked a good question. What about sprouted grains? I understand uh, the thought is to avoid grains, and you would not eat them raw, but sprouted grains are eaten, uh, are eaten alone, added to salads, etc. Thanks, Jason. Um, Uh, I would absolutely be happy to eat sprouts. And I'll tell you why. They're not a grain anymore. Now they're a grain. I think they're tremendously nutritious. And I think they make a lot of sense. And I think it's a good use for all that grain that you, uh, you, you don't know what to do with now. If it's grain that can be sprouted, uh, wheatgrass, I think, is an outstanding nutritional uh, boost. And uh, it does make sense to me. Uh, that doesn't mean I eat wheat. All right. Um, says, anyway, the paleo diet is fascinating. I've essentially come to this conclusion while contemplating ideal human diet. With more info, I, I might just be on board. So here are my questions. Where and how do genetics fit in? I think that a Scandinavian should probably have a different diet than uh, than a, Sam, a Samoan, etc., right? Wrong. I've, I've covered that already at this point. No. Uh, I think that we are far more alike than we are different. And I think that a lot of people want to sell books, and I don't want to sell you a book, so I don't need to try to make bullshit up. Uh, we're pretty much the same. And there's certain things we have different tolerances for and certain things that we have different uh, results with. But in the end, you experiment this out and a human is a human. And a human's going to be doing better on a paleo lifestyle. What about high cholesterol level? Cholesterol is bad, right? Nope. 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 It's not. It's just not. Now, if you have high blood cholesterol, really, truly high blood cholesterol, you may have a problem. But six eggs for breakfast, you don't need six eggs for breakfast. Uh, that's what he says. Whoa. Uh, no, you don't need six eggs for breakfast. And even if you did, you're not going to get high cholesterol from eating eggs. Can you explain again why beans and cheese in particular 
but also whole grains and yogurt are bad. My wife and I do modestly well on eating healthy, but I'm having a hard time seeing these things as detrimental or as things that are which paleontological peoples didn't eat. Uh, paleontological people, I've never heard that before, uh, they didn't really eat a lot of cheese until they started domesticating animals because you can't get cheese that way. They didn't eat wheat because wheat was just grass until somebody domesticated it and turned it into wheat. So they didn't eat that. They didn't eat yogurt because they didn't have... Okay? Right? Paleo people predate the agriculture. Now, as agriculture came on board, some of these things were eaten. I don't think yogurt is bad in of itself. I think it has a fairly high carbohydrate yield, and I think we need to take it as a food in moderation. Rob Wolf says not to eat cheese. I eat cheese. I just don't eat a lot of cheese. To me, it's, it's, it's calories are almost 100% from fat. That's acceptable. That's acceptable. When I did the first 30 days, though, I did no meat. I did, I'm mean, sorry, I did no dairy. I did exactly what Rob said, just like I've advised you to do. And then I've worked that back in. So, um, but the wheat, the whole grains are, are the problem, right? It's not, it's not the, the, the cheese and the dairy that I have the big issue with. It's not even somewhat the legumes, right? Some legumes here and there. Cause let's face it, there's a lot of legumes. If we pick them and eat them in the raw state, they're pretty good. They really are. You could eat them that way. So they fit my little model. But, If you're eating a varied enough diet, you won't load up almost. See, I think the biggest problem that we have is we've made these things into dietary staples. And I think your dietary staple needs to be meat and fat, right? And your augmentations need to be seeds and vegetables. And then further down from there, fruits. And then further down from there, dairy. And then all the way off in occasional cheating is grains. And that's kind of the, the way I'm working on it. So I think that I am... Uh, at the point now where I'm ready to wrap up for the day. I know this was a long episode, but I wanted to cover everybody's question. Everybody's question that got through the filtering process was answered. I didn't turn anybody's question away. If your question didn't end up here, then that means you didn't follow the rules. And I'm sorry. You, it's not like I'm like, oh, he didn't follow the rules. He's out. You just got missed because you didn't do what I asked you to do. So in the future, do what I ask you to do. Or if you didn't hear your exact question, but you still got an answer, that means your question, because there was a ton of duplication. So I tried to eliminate some of the duplication. So I'm on the record with all of this stuff. Tomorrow we'll have Dr. Greg Ellis here, a PhD, who's made this his life's work, that will even tell you some things differently, and I know he's going to. I had enough courage to come out and say my piece first. I'll readdress some of these more technical questions to Dr. Ellis, and I'll tell you, I think the guy's very switched on and knows what he's talking about or wouldn't have him on. Then I'm going to have an interesting con uh, conversation with him about the concept, do calories ma matter? I say yes, he says no, but I think we actually agree. We'll see about that tomorrow. But with that, this has been Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough, or even if they don't. Sometimes we forget we are what we eat. I don't know the answer. It's like there's nothing I can do. It's the price we pay, I guess, when we follow all the rules. There's a better way to do this. Let me show you a better way.
revolution is you